what you were looking for? I don't know everything, but I know where to start. When we were in the library, Dolores focused on a select group of guest profiles. She seemed intent on finding out everything she could about this guy. We need to start by finding him. Great. You can set off to find him, and I'll retire myself once you make it to the fishing vessel. Freeze all motor functions. Congratulations, Ashley Stubbs. You just got yourself a new core directive. To protect Bernard Lowe at all costs. Bring yourself back online. One of my help you could have just asked for. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm David. And this is House Podcastica Westworld Edition. This week we're covering Westworld Season 3, Episode 2, The Winter Line. And thank you for having a title I can pronounce. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do you think about having all this escapism to focus on? You like it? Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thank God and HBO uh, and Netflix. Um, I'm a big sports guy, as you know, both work and recreational. And it, it's hard for me to be stuck at home and not have that at the same time, which is the number one outlet of recreation for me. And I have sort of have trouble marking the passage of time without the sports seasons. All the weeks just run together. <laughs> right. So that's going to be a little weird uh, for me. And I am really, really appreciating the uh, other forms of entertainment. That's been your reality for pretty much your whole life, right? It has. Yeah, since I was a little kid. And it's just like... Um, for me, like the seasons or the way school is for a student, the sports seasons are for me. That's what makes the times of year feel like what they are. Right. Yeah. It, this is throw, not to get too far off track before you get in the episode, but this is really throwing things off. Like I have no idea with my kids being out of school, how are they just going to ignore that or, you know, and there's going to, speaking of escapism, there's going to be a big, maybe there'll be like a big drought of content coming up because they're not filming anything now. Although Netflix has like 4 billion hours of content. So I think we'll be all right. (laughs) That's a really great point. I did not even think about that. The fact that whatever was in production probably can't be right now. Yeah. They already pushed back this. There's another walking dead spinoff coming out. And then they even announced that the finale of this season is going to be later in the year because they still had post-production to do on it. Interesting. Uh, you know, I know from our own experience, we're trying to do all our production remotely. And there certainly are things you can do. And I think for high end shows like that, that have a lot of resources, money to spend, there's things you can do, but it's still not the same as being at work. It's going to be slower. It's going to be more difficult. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't heard anything about Westworld. So I assume that that's all in the can and there won't be any delays until we hear different. Yeah, I I would imagine so. For a show like this that's so complex that it's already airing, I wouldn't think they'd be still producing within a 10-week window. Right. Only eight episodes this season. Eight, yeah. So with that, let's get into this week's highlights for Westworld Season 3, Episode 2, The Winter Line. So what did you think of it? 
enjoyed it very much. Uh, the show continues to um, amaze me in that it's continually different. I, we're two episodes now into season three, very different flavor than season two. But I thought this episode was a lot of fun. I mean, it was very accessible, um, a lot of fun and funny things that happened, some good action. Everything that happened in the episode kind of resolved, although there are greater mysteries uh, going on. I, I thought it was great. Yeah, me too. I like that we were back in the lab for some of it, even though some of that ended up being simulated because after last week being so different, it was nice to kind of get back into some more classically Westworldy environments but yeah it was still different and, and i just love the way that the show it knows what you expect based on what you've seen before and so it will constantly subvert those expectations and that's one of the things that is really fun about westworld i agree it was just fun too because it was funny and it, it really feels like the show is playing up the sense of humor that it has about itself which i think is really cool yeah absolutely and um and i like some of the deeper episodes that you really have to work hard to follow but sometimes it's nice to have an episode that's just entertaining, and this one was not hard to follow. Yeah, good point. Yeah, if it's too dumbed down over the course of the season, then we might not be satisfied with that. True, but I think they've still set up some good mysteries. Yeah. So we'll have to see how intricately they resolve them, but mm -hmm. there already has been a lot set up in two episodes uh, that will have to be answered in six more. In this episode, when Maeve realizes that the whole thing is a simulation, she really starts explaining it. Oh, that's why Hector was acting this way and Sylvester and Felix. And I'm like, they really want to they really want to explain that. So we know. So I, I do feel like they might be overcorrecting a little. I hope I'm wrong. We'll see. You think they took some criticism to heart? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But I like the episode. So let's get into our top five. What's your number five? My number five uh, this show has great ones, so I am going to take a page out of Lee Sizemore's book and plagiarize from myself <laughs> from last week <laughs> and say Easter eggs. Hmm. This show has some great ones, so um, and that was my number five, I think, last week. But um, So last week we enumerated all the sci-fi call-outs uh, in episode one of this season, which I think was... Blade Runner, Star Wars, Star Trek, 2001, Ex Machina, Her, and The Terminator, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. In this episode, of course, the star Easter egg was Benioff and Weiss from uh, Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. which I did not immediately spot. I got to give Karen credit for that. I saw the dragon right away, yeah, but I didn't recognize who those guys were um, right away. And she was like, hey, D&D. She she noticed it, huh? I don't think I did until I read, read it afterwards. Yeah, she noticed it immediately. That's I kind of cool. knew. I kind of knew I recognized that guy, or <laughs> I recognized his voice, and it was from those little segments they do at the end of each Game of Thrones episode. Yeah, that's where I recognized the voice from. But uh, I, I assumed that it was presumably the missing uh, Drogon that has now. Uh, that's where Drogon is. <laughs> yeah, now we know <laughs> it's in Westworld. Yeah, and. Um, or in a Westworld simulation. And uh, the tech played by Weiss said he has a buyer in Costa Rica, which sharp-eyed watchers will notice is a reference to Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. uh, the fictional island Isla Nublar located off the coast of uh, Costa Rica. Uh, and then reading about that, 
afterwards. Nolan and Joyce said they wanted to pay tribute to Jurassic Park since Michael Crichton wrote both the original 1973 Westworld movie and the Jurassic Park novels, which I thought was super cool. Mm-hmm. Totally. And uh, going on with what uh, Nolan said, I was of the theory that the lovely people at NBC Universal probably had a lawyer sitting and watching every episode waiting for the dinosaur so they could make a friendly phone call to tell us to cease and desist. <laughs> so we found a way to blend those uh, two pitches we wanted to do into one ridiculous moment in our series. I mean, that's just great. Mm-hmm. Fun. Yeah, and, and the episode was already fun, so this kind of went along with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then um, the other Easter egg I really loved in this one was Medieval World. And I know this is part of this world, but that also was part of the original movie. Uh, when it was Westworld, Medieval World, mm-hmm. and Roman World. And uh, the fact that one of the Medieval World characters was playing the Westworld theme on a lute yeah. uh, was fun. Was that was Medieval World in Westworld, or did it debut in Future World? No, it was in Westworld. It was in Westworld. There, there were three parks in Westworld, mm-hmm. Westworld, Medieval World, and uh, Roman World. And then the um, sort of like in the TV show, they start going across the borders Mm -hmm. uh, from one to the other. But so with medieval world, and I'm not sure if they're calling it that, but that's what it seemed to be. We've seen Westworld, the Raj, Shogun world, medieval world, and now war world. It was a simulation. So assuming that's real, there's one park left. Yeah. One, because there were six total. So we don't know. There's a discoverwarworld.com that has kind of a general message for Delos destinations park offline Delos station destinations regrets the temporary closure of our parks, blah, blah, blah. New perspective guests should refer to our video resource catalog in preparation for a future stay. And we'll be notified once park reservations are reopened, please check back in again soon. Your life without limits will resume shortly. So maybe that's an indication that it is one of the six parks. That's a little too close to our real world right now. It, this whole thing is, including the lab techs standing around hoping they're not about to be laid off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, not great. to laugh, but yeah, totally. Uh, gotta laugh. Yeah, you gotta laugh or else you're gonna cry. Um, yeah, that I love that. I loved seeing them. I know that George R.R. R. Martin has joked about Game of Thrones being one of the parks in Westworld, and I think that's why what led to this although you're right medieval world too so maybe it was a combination of both yeah although the medieval world people did not look like game of thrones people i know yeah they weren't dressed right but the dragon i think that was drogon just smaller but yeah it's not saying that that game of thrones was actually a simulation it's just a nod to it yeah but but it makes you feel good to know uh the same shows that you like the creators of one of your favorite shows also yeah totally if game of thrones was a westworld park i'm not sure who the guests would be anyway because most people don't seem to fare very well (laughs) (laughs) that's true (laughs) like if you were visiting king's landing when daenerys also visited yeah or or pretty much at any time (laughs) if you visited anywhere anytime it may not go well for you yeah but you know what i like about it i don't know if that was just a throwaway and we're never gonna see that park again anymore because i don't know how much we're in that part of the story anymore where we explore stories within the park but um 
either way, I think it's cool that they have a park that has fantasy elements because we haven't seen that before. And I think when you and me and uh, Karen did an episode about Westworld on Walking Dead cast, we talked about what kind of parks we'd like to see. And I think Fantasy Park was one of ours or Game of Thrones Park or something. To actually just see dragons flying around and magic happening would be pretty cool. Yeah. Or Lord of the Rings Park would yeah, be yeah. one people would probably want. Uh, I have to wonder, actually, at this point, if we're going back to the parks at all. I mean, by the end of this episode, nobody really was there. Yeah. I mean, it seems like if there's one park that's not revealed that by the end of this, we'll at least know what that is. But yeah, who knows if we'll go into it. I'm kind of hoping for a future world. Although since Westworld, the show is in 2058, then it kind of is future. It kind of is. So if they had a park called future world for us, it would be like future, future world, I guess. Right. What is it? What do they think their future is like? Yeah. Okay. My number five is Maeve fakeouts because I liked that the Maeve stuff was Westworld doing one of the things it does best, leading you down a path, and then you realize things aren't what they seem, and then you realize things aren't what they seem then either, and and Maeve was kind of right there with us, kind of having her mind blown and having realizations and so first, it seems like she's just in another park, this time World War II themed. It reminded me of when they went to Shogun World. It's like, oh, let's explore a narrative in this other park. Um, but by this time, she's been through so much and she's still aware. So she's like, eh, let's just get out of here. She sees her lover, Hector, who's Ettore. And uh, they start getting caught up in the storyline. And it's a classic war movie storyline where they have secret plans that they need to get out of there to save the soldiers. I mean, now did you see 1917? Uh, yes, we did see that. It's kind of similar to that. <laughs> yeah. Not too different in, in the aspect that there were plans and the good guys were planning to make a move, but they didn't know that the bad guys knew about it. So they had to tell them before they went into a trap. But anyways, right. um, then so, I like that they, they kind of got caught up in it. And I was like, why is Maeve letting herself get caught up in this? And Hector too, uh, because it actually seemed like Hector might've been aware. He said, he said something about let's get you out of this hell. And so he was saying lines that could be, let's get out of the park or let's get out of this, you know, German stronghold or Italian stronghold or whatever it was to kind of fool us into thinking that maybe he was awake too. And I was thinking Maeve just thought, part of the way to get out was to play along for a little while. So anyway, she, they gave this cyanide pill and it's the kind of thing that if you're a spy, you need to take it if you're caught. So you don't give up any information, but typical Maeve, instead of taking the pill, she shoves it into the guard's eye socket, (laughs) (laughs) which was awesome. Yeah. That (laughs) touched off for us about a five minute conversation on whether that would actually kill somebody. Right. I mean, if you shove your finger hard enough in there, it doesn't matter if there's a pill in it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But yeah. And so anyway, things aren't quite adding up like her. She can't control them anymore by speaking. Although I did think you should try talking in German because we saw her in Shogun World. English didn't work and she needed to speak Japanese. But anyways. um, Although later than that, she was able to control hosts without speaking at all yeah yeah so i'm like well what's going are they going to be able to explain this and then um hector she finds out oh he calls her isabella and she it's becomes clear to her that he's wrapped up in his loop and 
he's not awake anymore and she's sad. And he kind of reminded me of Teddy at that point, stuck in his role and his loops. Right. And uh, then he gets shot and, and she's really sad about it. And I thought, oh, why should you be sad? You know that it's not real. And then she said, it's all right, darling. None of it matters because none of it is real. And I'm glad she said that. But it still makes sense that she's sad because they just have this whole living hell where they have to see each other die over and over again. So that was like the first awakening to things aren't being what they seem when she realized that Hector was not uh, awake too. And then she ends up shooting herself in the head and in the lab, she's trying to lobotomize herself. And that made me think of Clementine who did the same, had the same thing done to her, a drill shoved up her nose and she was never the same since. So this is the only thing we've seen definitively kind of ruin a host except maybe Angela who blew herself up. Right. And, and so then Lee comes in and, and, uh, she, and I'm like, Oh, what? He's still alive, but I, a savior. So I was kind of like, Oh, do I really believe that he would be alive? But I'm also relieved cause I like him and I want her to be saved. And I'm not, I guess I shouldn't go into all the details of all this, but then, um, she, he says, Oh, you know, I put you in war world because it would be close to the forge and you can go be with your daughter. And I thought that was a brilliant bit of plotting too, because it gives her something that she's ready to kill herself. So this is the thing that could relieve that. Oh no, you can be in paradise with your daughter. And so, yeah, of course she's going to go for that, but then they get to the forge and then Lee seems suspicious. He keeps asking if she has the coordinates and then he makes a pass at her. And that's when she figured out the second thing wasn't as it seemed. She, she thought at that point that Lee was a host. I think it was because she, like she said, you know, Lee never, was into me like that. He just did the right thing because it was the right thing. But also it seemed like kissing him somehow clued her in. It just didn't feel right or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, one thing I really loved about this whole, that whole arc is it, I think it was very Westworld, the show. So, I mean, this is a clever show with some deep writing to it and multiple layers and as this storyline was starting to unfold, I think your first reaction as the viewer is, this is kind of lazy writing. It's yeah. like, we're, we're back in this thing where she's trying to get to the Valley Beyond. and her It's like, we did that already last season. It's like, so it was kind of boring and a little thin that they're doing this again. Uh, but then it turned out that the whole basis really of this storyline in the episode was that it was lazily written by the humans who coded the simulation. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was um, sort of a good double pun, multiple layer little thing, self-reflexive deal. I mean, I was, I kind of gave myself the intention of, yeah, this feels like we've seen this before, but I'm going to enjoy that it's a new environment in this World War II setting and it's a spy story or whatever. So it it was kind of fun, but I yeah, I kept, I was glad that it turned out that she was in a simulation because it answered a lot of questions I was having. Like why is she awake but doesn't have these admin privileges anymore? Why is the park still open after what happened? Why is Hector not awake and going through the motions of the narratives? 
is the park even open? You know, why didn't they reset Maeve if it is open and and why can't they control her? Why is she awake? Why did she wake up in the middle of this narrative and not know how she got there? How come Sylvester and Felix are being so weird? Uh, Sylvester, I could see because he's a jerk sometimes, but Felix, he seemed like he didn't know her. And, and is it feasible that Lee Sizemore survived? All of those questions I was like kind of nagging at me. Like sometimes when I watch a bad Walking Dead episode, except they don't get answered on that show. <laughs> <laughs> right. And here they actually had a, a reasonable explanation. I, I have to that. say, I have to say I was suspicious from the beginning. Oh, really? That was line. a simulation? N- not that I had it exactly figured out. I mean, I, I thought that started to become a clearer possibility when they got to the forge and those were, that was the sort of environment where we had seen earlier simulations, but just the whole thing seemed a little thin mm-hmm. and weird. Like <laughs> the actual world war two setting and story that they were in was just kind of thin and lame. And, um, I mean, it was the Nazis in Italy, which is a little weird <laughs> and, it just didn't seem really well done. And the other thing that occurred to me right away is how could the park be open? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we've gone through two of the things that she didn't, that kind of changed for her. She realized that Hector was not awake. And then she realized that Lee, well, she thought he was a host. And then we see Bernard who's been looking for Maeve this whole time, find her, naked host body and there's a big hole in the back of her head and her robot brain is gone. And right then, uh, this might be where it's a little lazy for me at that moment. Maeve is, they switch over to her and she's saying to Lee, you're not Lee Sizemore. You're just a copy. And he's like, don't be ridiculous. I'm Lee Sizemore. And then it all just starts melting away and revealing that it's a simulation. And I was like, what, what prompted that? Why did the simulation reveal itself? I'm not sure. But anyway, it did. Yeah, not sure. Maybe it was just, I think we're given to understand it was sort of just hastily created mm-hmm. uh, mm. for a particular purpose and maybe just un- can't stand up under questioning. Yeah. Like cause when know she that, questioned that character, it fell apart. We know that Serac is arranged all of this and sometimes people don't respect what good writing is. <laughs> He's and like the they, Michael Bay of... Westworld part right and maybe they just didn't have time I mean if you remember a lot of the season two storyline in the park was all the like kludges and jury rigs that the Delos people were doing to try to get things to happen (laughs) right Uh, on the fly yeah when they were in a hurry and didn't have the resources and were on the fly Mm -hmm. so as soon as she realized she was in a simulation the aspect ratio changed to widescreen with the bars on top and bottom and they just could not put those in from the beginning or else we would have known what it was. So as right. soon as we, it was revealed, then they did that. But I wasn't thinking that it was a simulation because I think it was good of them to do it as they were introducing a new park because my focus was on that, on the newness of that. And so I wasn't thinking about the whole simulation thing. So when it was revealed to her, it was a surprise to me. I mean, I was wondering what the hell was going on, you know, especially when Lee was fixated on whether she knew the coordinates to where Dolores had sent off the sublime. And I'm still not exactly sure why that was important information. Yeah. And and I think um, right from the beginning, that was a, 
intentionally, but sort of a questionable note. Like he walks in, you're glad to see him just because you like the character, you like the actor. And it was really fun to have him in this episode. But it didn't make sense. I mean, we saw him die. There's no way he could be still alive. It just, that would have been so cheap in the writing. It's not like this show. Yeah. And, and I don't want that because even though I like his character and I was happy to see him, I don't, I want to feel like there are consequences on this show and that there are stakes and I want to fear for the human characters on the show going forward and stuff like that. Yeah. And not only he's still alive, but like still doing the same job. Right. (laughs) Which wouldn't have even made sense. So, and I liked when Maeve said Lee Sizemore died a good man. That was yes. impactful for me. Yep. Agreed. Mm. Okay. N- that was my longest one. <laughs> What's your <laughs> number four? Well, I'll continue with, uh, with the same uh, parts of the same thing. Cause this was my number four. Uh, we both used the word fake out, which I like, <laughs> um, just to continue with that scene. I thought her turning the tables and taking control of the physical world by exploiting the hastily written, um, badly written plagiarized simulation was just great. Um, I mean, she's a badass. She's formidable. And uh, for her to be able to think of like hanging up the simulation by um, overburdening it with calculations, the square root of negative one, which is sort of an old sci-fi trope. That's as old as like Star Trek. Um, So another little sci-fi call out. Yeah. It's like you tell the robot, this sentence is a lie. And it's like, right. does not compute. It explodes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but so she sort of used that. Um, but then to be able to take control of the physical world through a maintenance drone. And um, I, I just love that whole thing. I love the robot. And it was a great action scene um, with her trying to. Um, and basically, she's stealing her own brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, from inside a simulation, which is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just was a lot of fun. I thought it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. I, I was a little bit like, wow, that maintenance drone is pretty tough. It's like taking out guards, killed a couple of them. Yeah. Um, But it was cool. (laughs) And it was neat that she was able to do it. And I liked as soon as it pulled her pearl, they're calling it them pearls now out that, she collapsed inside the simulation. Yeah. And that was interesting because at that point, what's controlling it? I guess she gave it the instructions. That's yeah. And then it was just carrying them out. Yeah. Yeah. At a certain point, but I loved seeing the, um, the androids perspective and it was like making choices. I kept freezing it to see what it said on the screen, like the little Terminator like display. Uh, and when it got out into the courtyard, it said it was like, evasive mode or escape mode 23 possible routes and then it winnowed down really quickly to one oh. route <laughs> down to zero <laughs> yeah yeah i liked that you know it was pretty powerful too that she was ready to finish herself off because her daughter is safely away out of reach and that was her main care in the world and now she she just didn't have anything else left to live for i mean the other option would be to escape into the real world like she was going to do in at the end of season one. But um, 
I don't know. For some reason, it kind of made sense to me that she would do that. She's just like, I'm, I'm over it. I'm tired. But then when she realizes that she's in a simulation, it really activated her. And she said with a lot of energy to Lee, the sooner you come to terms with the fact that you're nothing but a pawn in some sick bastard's personal game, the sooner we can get on with it. And he goes, get on with what? And she goes winning. So she's back to her sort of conquering self which was kind of cool. As soon as she, she figured out what was going on, then she suddenly had a goal and she's pretty fearless and unstoppable when that's when she has a goal like that. Yeah. And I, I think it's great that Maeve is now engaged in the real world. Yeah. That was the first she, time. Yeah. She always had this goal that was heartwarming, but it was a dead end. Um, it sort of was, wasn't real mm-hmm. in a way at least. Um, so now at least she's in the real battle. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times too, when we've seen her, she's still figuring things out. Um, even when she was trying to escape the park, she didn't realize that she was following Ford's programming. So, uh, now she's pretty much fully aware and in control and everything. Well, not anymore. Not by the end of this episode, I guess. Yeah. She's aware, but not in control. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my number four too, just her escaping. So what's your number three? Okay. Um, So my number three is Bernard back in control of his own storyline. So for a long time in this show, really from late season one on, um, Bernard doesn't have a great deal of control over events, although he he does take control of his destiny at points in season two and accomplish certain things. Uh, and make some choices, but he always seems to be sort of under someone's thumb. So it, it's Ford for a long time, who is first orchestrating him without his knowledge. Then he's orchestrating him with his knowledge. He can't do anything about it. Then to function, Bernard has to make him up because he can't he can't quite function without him. And then after a period of independent choice, then he's sort of under Dolores's thumb who recreates him and he spent the whole first couple episodes here worried about being under her control. But so he makes it back to Westworld. He doesn't find Maeve, but he does find Ashley Stubbs, uh, which is another character I really enjoy. So I'm glad he has come back into the story. Mm -hmm. We learned he was a host right at the end of season two. I was resisting that even then I thought because he was saying things like, you know, this is my role and, uh, you know, just sort of using the same, the language as if he were a host, but I thought it was so, he was being so obvious about it that he was just kind of being playful or something, but, uh, I was wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And one question they've never answered is why the little scanner thing didn't reveal him to be a host. But, um, we find out that Ford had given Stubbs the assignment of helping Bernard make it off of the island. And we don't really get a download from Bernard about what he learned when he scanned himself. We do get to see some of his memories, which was interesting. Uh, But I think we assume at this point that he's learned he's not under Dolores' control or his code is not corrupted or maybe not. We'll, I'm sure we'll find more about that. Yeah. I mean, I, here's what I think is Stubbs had to disconnect it before Bernard was ready. And so I think maybe Bernard didn't get what he was looking for. What he did get through that process, he figured out that 
Dolores was really interested in Liam, whatever his name is. That's Liam Dempsey, Liam Dempsey. That's the CEO of insight. And so that's his next goal to go find him. But I feel like the, the reason why they had him just Stubbs disconnected early is so that that would seem still unfinished and that there is still something wrong with him. And we don't know quite for sure what it is or why. Yeah. And, or maybe he's not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I I thought this show always has so much irony in it. Now uh, Bernard is controlling Stubbs and using him <laughs> the way Ford used to use Bernard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the irony there is Stubbs said, hey, if you wanted my help, you could have just asked me. <laughs> uh, so that was really funny and clever, I thought. That was a great moment because stubbs is ready to kill himself and and he tried and failed and then he's like okay you know i'll help you get off the island and then i can do myself in and even pulls out his gun just to remind us and and he's such a likable character like no we don't want and then when so and then when bernard did that freeze all motor functions and then quickly reprogrammed him and your new guess what your new objective is to protect my life at all costs and then he's like you know you could have asked me and then bernard smiles and it just felt like a triumphant moment in some buddy movie or something to me (laughs) yeah and and but the um the interesting point is that there's still some subtleties to the way these different hosts behave so Stubbs is clearly self-aware he knows what he is and what he's been doing but he doesn't have full control uh over himself he is still able to be controlled and that doesn't seem true of Dolores or Maeve no um, and Bernard, I guess the jury's out. By the way, uh, I read also that um, Stubbs' fight scene had to be rewritten because he couldn't do some of the things he was supposed to do because he hurt his arm hanging up a quote-unquote really heavy TV. <laughs> yeah, he his bicep tore off his bone or something. <laughs> pretty bad. <laughs> they still made it look pretty good. Yeah. I mean. But yeah, now you you know, there was a reference to tragedy he's like i don't have a tragedy like you guys you know because we've learned that the hosts have this cornerstone tragedy and that that is one of the things that helps them come to consciousness and be aware and be more human and Stubbs is more he just says ford didn't write me some tragic backstory that's your bag i had a job to do and my job is over he's just more matter of fact pragmatic and he doesn't have that kind of human suffering to him but he does have an awareness that most hosts didn't have he i think he's known all along that he is a host so it's really interesting because he's actually more aware in some ways than most of the hosts were but he still doesn't have that humanity to him so it just makes him kind of a unique creature well and you also get to know what a long game dr robert ford was playing because if you think about Bernard and Stubbs and what Ford programmed them to do and the roles he had laid out for them, and they were embedded for years. Yeah. I mean, they weren't suspected by the humans that were no. he, he also says to, he's, it's weird because, you know, he's saying that, like you're saying, he's not, he doesn't have free will. But he does have a sense of humor, which, so he's not like 
you know, I am a robot. He's saying to Bernard, my job is over. At least it was until you decided to come back to the one fucking place you're not supposed to be, which makes me wonder if free will might not be somewhat overrated. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a good point. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Okay. Let's see. My number three was Stubbs, who I always liked just fine, but this episode really made me like him a lot more and just be glad that he's now Bernard's bodyguard. And I think I'm not, it was because, uh, he just seemed so noble, I guess, you know, he had this job to do, he finished it and he was ready to do himself in. I'm not sure. I believe that a host would not be able to shoot the bomb in the back of his neck that he missed. I had to suspend my disbelief for that one. Yeah, that was interesting. It it made for a good setup of the story, but it was Mm -hmm. a little hard to believe. Yeah. But then I liked, you know, Bernard discovers him. Oh, he goes, you're one of them of us. I mean, I like that line because Bernard has spent so much time thinking of himself as human as, and host as something else. And then Stubbs like, no, no, no shit. <laughs> yeah. And he got startled by Stubbs in that scene. Yeah. You, just like a human would be when right, what right. looks like a dead body all of a sudden moves. Right. I like that. He's funny. I loved that. He was coughing a lot and it just seems like he's in really bad shape. And then he coughs up a screw and then he's fine after that. <laughs> that was hilarious. Well, it was the bullet. He oh, is that what bullet. it was? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that he had shot into his own neck. Mm-hmm. And then let's see. Uh, Stubbs is like, that's an active floor. There's going to be human personnel. You can't just swipe them away with your tablet. Bernard says, that's what I have you for, isn't it? Stubbs says, this is why I'm looking forward to retirement. <laughs> um, and then the moment where he was warding off all of the guards to protect Bernard and he had his gun pointed right at one and he could have killed him and he just sort of nodded him away and said, run. And I'm like, yeah, it just seems like a good person. And then he chased a couple guards who had guns away with like an ax. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was also great. Crazy. Yeah. So I just came away from this episode, liking him a lot more and looking forward to seeing more with him. Yeah, and it was just a nice surprise that he's going to be in the show. I know. Uh, yeah. I don't think we really expected necessarily to see him again. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it'll be more... It almost felt a bit like comedy relief here. I wonder if that's what it'll be going forward or if he'll get a deeper story. Yeah, I think you said it right. It was a little buddy picture-ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but if you think about Bernard, um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Lowe, when mm-hmm. Bernard flips that switch... He is capable of being very violent also. So the two of them maybe could really do some damage together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or against each other. Yeah, that's true too. Okay, number what, two? Yep. Uh, my number two is Ciroc. Um, Engeron Ciroc. First of all, I'm just thrilled to have a new sort of architect show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought... The show was so amazing with Dr. Robert Ford. Now it's a unique character. It's an amazing actor, Sir Anthony Hopkins, and maybe nobody's going to be quite him. Um, but this is an interesting character. I think Vincent Cassell is a great actor, or uh, at least very compelling. Mm-hmm. Maybe not quite the panache of Dr. Ford, but a worthy adversary on yeah. the human side. Agreed. Um, so I think we were needing that since Ford went out of the story. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm eager to learn more about him and the system and its history. And it's a little plot exposition maybe, but uh, as he's explaining to Maeve, but I thought it was a great line where he said, our history is like the ravings of a lunatic chaos, but we've changed that for the first time. History has an author, a system. And um, it, again, it reminded me of Dr. Ford. I mean, who, who was not shy about being the author, being the creator. Right. And, um, and here is another, another guy that thinks of himself basically as a God creator. Yeah. I didn't think about that, except in the real world. Except in the real world. Yeah. yeah. And that goes all along with all the stuff we were talking about, Insight Corporation and Rehoboam, where they're concerned with things like traffic control, job placement, entertainment, social media, therapy, these limbic system interfaces that control or influence emotions and physiology and everything like they've got he's got his fingers in all of that. And he thinks that he can come up with an algorithm that will just put everything into its perfect place. And we'll be living in a utopia. That's what it seems like. Well, and interestingly in the first episode of this season, we got to see that all from the perspective of the downtrodden. Yeah. Uh, right. Not with Aaron so Paul. Well. Yeah. And now, I mean, it's seductive, his explanation that, you know, history was a shit show and now I've put it in order. Mm -hmm. uh, and now there's an author. Now there's a system behind it. And it's kind of tempting mm -hmm. uh, to think, oh, that that kind of makes sense. You know, that's attractive. Yeah, because you're right. He's not talking about the future necessarily. He's well, he is. But he also said it was working fine until suddenly it stopped. And so right. he, he thinks it's working fine. But Aaron Paul's character might disagree. Yeah, exactly. And then um, Sirach, uh apparently means a pinnacle in a glacier. So like a, a spiky, icy part of a glacier. Um, not sure if that means anything or why they chose that name, but that's what it means. Yeah, I'm glad we got to meet him. It was interesting. He was wearing all white because, you know, there's been things with black and white in the show and Dolores had her black dress on last episode. And that of course brings to mind William who started off in white, but became the man in black. And for William, that was more about how he saw himself than what he really was. And it may be the same with this guy. He thinks he's a hero. So he wears white. Well, and he reminded me a little bit of the architect in the matrix, uh, who is an evil character in that story from a human point of view. Uh, but the, the guider of the machine world. And that's sort of what this guy is in this world. Mm -hmm. And apparently, I mean, he somehow had Maeve's control unit and it looked like there were a whole bunch more in that facility that the maintenance droid grabbed hers out of. So he's doing something with those. I don't know how he got it, but yeah, much more to be learned about him and what he's right. been up to. And so he says, we're in the middle of a war and I need to help win it. It seems like he, I don't think Dolores has gotten hold of Rehoboam or anything, but I think my take on it, and I could be wrong, is that he's used the algorithms of this artificial intelligence to figure out that she's a threat. 
Well, we've seen in the little animation they do at the beginning of these episodes, the divergence mm-hmm. uh, that supposedly we assume means that she represents. Yeah. So you think I was thinking those graphics that we keep seeing are manifestations of whatever calculations that thing is doing. Well, and I think what it means by divergence, and she's not the only one, they took us through a history where we saw several of them, mm-hmm. means a essentially a black swan event, like something with a big impact that the system was unable to predict in advance. Right. Yeah. Similar stuff going on in devs, by the way, that one I keep mentioning. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, on the uh, list. So Serac wants Maeve to track Dolores down and and kill her. How do you think he decided to enlist Maeve in this war? Uh, So I will talk about that in my number one. Okay. Uh, Maybe I should leave that then. Um, But Maeve has a good point when she says that, you know, he should know that she doesn't give a crap about the fate of humankind. (laughs) Like it's not obvious that she should be the one to enlist in this. And then she was about to kill him with that knife before he froze her. And yeah, I mean, and not only doesn't care about it, if anything is hostile to it. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, she, she has had good experiences with at least one human Felix. So she, she at least has that, but yeah, for the most part and Lee and Lee. Yeah. So that's yeah. unlike Dolores a little bit. I don't think Dolores has had good experiences with any. No. Humans. And Maeve has also suffered at the hands of some hosts. Yeah. Right. Um, but he says, perhaps next time we talk, I can persuade you that our interests are aligned. And I was wondering, maybe that's why he was trying to find the coordinates to the sublime. So he can use that to, as a carrot, you know, to tempt her to do his bidding as leverage. Yep. I don't know. Okay, what's your number one? My number one is my very favorite thing about this show, The Mysteries. And I think what keeps this particular show driving forward is the mysteries that they set up and solve on various timescales. And this show is never interesting unless there's some mystery in progress. And there usually is, fortunately. So I think right now several came up in this episode uh one is why have this elaborate scheme to have Maeve reveal the coordinates of the valley beyond world so that really was the point of the simulation it turned out it turned out there was a lot that Sirach and his team didn't know so obviously they didn't know about some of the interactions between the humans Mm -hmm. like uh her and felix and sylvester Um, which makes me laugh every time I say it, (laughs) but they also didn't know that she doesn't know where the Valley beyond world is. They thought she set that up and opened or opened the door. Mm. And so there's a lot they don't know about what happened in the park Mm -hmm. in season two. And then what do they want with those hosts? Um, Why do they care about the hosts that went into the Valley beyond or the paradise or whatever? Mm. Um, which include, by the way, characters we care about, Akichita, um, Teddy, Maeve's daughter, uh, and some others. Uh, So that's one of the mysteries. Another major mystery, I think, is that Sorok says 
not only that a war is underway, and we presume he means humans versus hosts or hosts versus the system, but he says the war is already lost. And most people don't even know a war is happening or that it is already lost. What does he mean by that? I think he means that because he's in the business of predicting the future, that the prediction, if he does nothing, is that it's lost. That Dolores is on a path to taking over humanity. And so he wants to prevent that. I think that's sort of a play on words. Yeah, and you might be right, but he, he said he said it more certainly than that. That, like, the die is cast. Or yeah. more certainly than just, oh, you know, it's dangerous or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, if he... Th- thought that there was no hope of winning this i mean that's what he tells mave i'm enlisting you to help me win this war and then a little bit two sentences later this war is already lost right so it's <laughs> like what he's doing with mave is a desperate move um, and then i think we have the mystery of why like okay we know dolores is she's very smart and capable and she's violent and ruthless but why is she so unpredictable and powerful I mean, you would think once they know about her, the entire human world could stop one host. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that is a little unclear. What is so special about her that makes her so dangerous? There's the mystery you mentioned uh, that I think we will get a reveal to pretty quickly, probably. Why does he think Maeve will cooperate with him? Uh, there's no reason that's obvious. Um, there's how is he controlling her? looks like a device similar to what Bernard uses to control himself. And then there are some small mysteries, like what happened to the real Felix and Sylvester, and are we going to see them again? And then there are the holdover mysteries from last week, which are still who are the hosts and the bodies of Charlotte Hale and Martin Collins, Mm -hmm. right? We didn't see any Dolores or really any part of that story. Uh, this week so there is a lot to be learned next week and beyond Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'm most looking forward to just seeing how dolores proceeds but i'm interested in all that stuff so yeah there's plenty of stuff to wonder about and be you know looking forward to yeah but i think you're right somehow the system is predicting that she is a phenomenon that can't be dealt with Mm -hmm. and it did seem a little bit like uh, a little forced that both Bernard and Serac try to get to Maeve to help to help them defeat Dolores. It made a little more sense to me with Bernard because he knows her and he's just feeling lost and he she's the strongest person he can think of. But for her to be the main tool that Serac, you know, wants to use, that felt a little bit like, oh, Maeve is a great character so let's figure out a way to put her in there (laughs) (laughs) yeah you could be right one interesting thing about this is also it's it's not clear where insight and delos overlap and one begins and the other ends because delos certainly knew that mave had a very special ability um but does he know that and how did he get her pearl off of Westworld because he's not Delos so is he actually controlling Delos it seems like the system is the most powerful thing in the human world 
Um, so I think that's another little sub mystery there. Yeah. And him saying why he came to her, he says she changed her own story, rewrote her own code and faced down an army. So yeah, th- he's got a point there, I guess. But yeah, he wants her to track, he gave her a very clear goal, track down Dolores and kill her. Yeah. So let's see, my, my number one is a little bit more with Bernard. We kind of talked about him, so I'll just point out some disjointed things that I noticed. He goes back to Westworld. He finds a part of Westworld Escalante all burned up. And I know that area was burned in the California wildfires in 2018. So they might have just used it as it was. I don't know. Interesting. And it made sense because of all the chaos in the park. He heads in to find Maeve. At one point, he looked over at this blood stain on the wall, which I think is where he smashed Teresa's head into the wall in season one. He's just kind of looking at it. Uh, I remember that. (laughs) I was just trying to think, so what did he gain by going back to Westworld? Because he didn't gain his goal of finding Maeve, but he gained this mission to find Liam Dempsey. He gained a dedicated bodyguard and a fun guy to hang around with in uh, Stubbs. He gains some self-knowledge, if not all. Yeah. And maybe, you know, he mentioned that if Dolores had planted a corruption in his code, that same corruption might mean that he would create a tablet that would ignore it. Talking about the tablet we saw in episode one. So maybe he got a clean tablet, too, that he can further explore himself with. Great point. Yep. He he could have taken that. with him for that purpose. I think one of the suspensions of disbelief in this episode, that's a little lazy that you just have to go with is he had a really easy time finding the Island and then just walking onto it, which kind of seems (laughs) implausible. (laughs) Yeah. He just went up to the first boat rental guy that. (laughs) Right. Hey, you know where it is? Sure. I'll take you there. Yeah. (laughs) So, Uh, And the last thing about him is he theorizes on why Dolores brought him back with her, which I feel like is another mystery of the show. And he says, she brought me back. I think on some level she suspects she might go too far that she needs a check on herself. And that sounds really suspect to me. I, I feel like there's probably something else there and I'm glad they're talking about it because it felt really unresolved to me and them talking about it makes me feel like maybe they're going to answer it. I agree with you on that one. So Dolores showed she is capable of changing her mind and showing some heart when she opened up the the paradise. But it, it was only after he shot her <laughs> the first time. Yeah. And and I don't buy this explanation either that he, she wants him as a check on her. He's part of her strategy. Yeah. I would hope so anyway. I just think it's kind of ridiculous to resurrect your enemy. <laughs> Yeah. Unless you have a use for him. And looking at her already in season three, she's pretty ruthless. That does not seem like her. Like, oh, I'm resurrecting you to be my conscience. I don't don't see it. Yeah. It's like if uh, Bill Gates resurrected Steve Jobs or something. (laughs) Yeah. Not likely. (laughs) So, yeah, that's all I got. What about notes? Any extra things? Uh, Just one. um, Always interested in the episode title, which I thought was pretty clever in this case. Uh, the winter line, which refers to 
German and Italian, but really German fortifications that they built in Italy during World War II. So essentially defensive fortifications that they built when they were occupying Italy, knowing that the Allies would invade. Mm. So this is kind of in the 1943-44 winter. Um, I, I thought it was sort of an interesting choice for the war world or for the fake war, war world simulation. Um, I mean, this is not exactly what you think of in World War II. Like the the if you were going to amuse guests, you you wouldn't put them in the German occupation of Italy in like late 1943. Right. Like this is not glamorous. Um, it's not the French Resistance, or Could be. it's not. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know, it's not D-Day. It's not the Battle of the Bulges. There's nothing glorious about it. And um, and what I thought was clever about the title is that ultimately the winter line didn't work. Um, it m- maybe slowed down the Allies a little bit because this is the south of Italy where they were, uh, where the Allies invaded from and then went up the boot. Um Ultimately, the winter line proved to be flimsy. It didn't hold. Uh, as Just as Westworld ultimately did not hold the hosts, and as the flimsy simulation ultimately did not hold Maeve. Mm. So I, I thought a good uh, analogy there. And um, it reminded me of the movie Patton, which is one of my favorite movies. Uh, Patton said, fixed fortifications are a monument to the stupidity of man. Uh, so most famously, the Maginot Line for the French in World War II, which did not work at all. Mm. So this is a little bit of a German version of that. And um, by the way, this uh, part of the episode, which was it was really a beautiful uh, setting and old town, was actually shot in Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Serac's home. Yes. It used to be a cement factory and some designer came in and took it over and added to it and everything. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It looked really neat. I thought. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. So my notes, let's see, this is more of a reminder for listeners in case you forgot, but Maeve told Hector that the secret plans are as empty as the safe that he used to chase. And that was his whole narrative to go into Sweetwater, shoot the place up, make off with the safe. And then back at camp, all his guys killed each other over it before they could find out what was inside. So when Maeve was trying to wake him up to what was going on, she opened the safe and there was nothing inside. Right. And those drones they're using, those creepy drones used to not be out in the public eye, but it was kind of a throwaway line, but I think Stubbs said that they were using them because they lost a lot of men in the massacre and these were their replacements. I like that. They were, uh, those drones were a great sort of creepy part of season two. So I was glad to see them. Yeah, totally. And then it was kind of ominous when they started walking towards, uh, Bernard and then he just swipes them away with his iPad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just like we wish we could do to people. with our <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. We need an app for that. Okay, that's all I got. Let's take a little break. There's more to come. Stay with us.
for the news. Insider.com interviewed Christopher Nolan. They asked if the newly revealed medieval-esque park is called Fantasy World. He said, I think that is subject to some speculation. We are neither going to confirm or deny it, hence Park 4. I wonder why they won't say the name. Maybe it's because it's called Westeros World. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Talking about the cameos of D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, who are the showrunners of Game of Thrones, he says, we're both fans of and friends with Dan and David. We had this goofy idea that we would pay homage to their staggeringly beautiful and ambitious show, the show that paved the way for us to be making Westworld with the same kind of ambition and production value. They kind of invented this genre of TV and they're lovely guys. So we pitched them this goofy idea and they were kind enough to come and hang out on our set for one night and bring their oversized fire breathing friend with them. (laughs) I bet they were stoked to do it. I don't know. Do you think the, um, that dragon was just animated or was it a, uh, a prop left over from uh, one of the sizes they would have needed on game of Thrones. I'm pretty sure it was completely CG. Yeah. I think I he think was just right. being cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next deadline.com says Sunday night season three premiere last week drew 1.7 million viewers across the night, which is two plays on HBO plus digital. Down from season two's debut episode, which drew about 3 million total viewership, though, tallied above the Outsider, Watchmen and Succession premieres, despite competition from the Democratic debate until 10 p.m., which was just a week ago and feels like it was like a year ago. Oh, or three (laughs) years ago. Yeah. Uh, They say digital viewing is expected to grow, particularly given the current climate with coronavirus shutdowns. And the fact that many viewers are staying home uh, this past weekend, both time spent and unique users on the HBO now platform reached their highest level since summer. HBO says with preliminary data from Monday indicating continued gains into this week. So people are home watching TV. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm glad that it's doing well vis-a-vis what's on HBO right now. Yeah. Um, and Hey, nothing wrong with 1.7 million people watching your show. Uh, And I think it has had some cultural impact because it's so unique. But I also think culturally, I mean, this is not a Game of Thrones. Right. Um, It's it's just too intricate to have a mass, mass audience. And I think part of that is you can't jump into it. Like you could jump into Game of Thrones. Yeah, it was an it was an intricate plot, but it was so action based and um, character based. You could jump into it. You can't jump into this thing. You have no idea what's going on unless you watch yeah. the entire series. I also just think that especially, well, season one, but especially season two, it took so much thinking and you couldn't really enjoy it if you didn't really sit down and try to figure it out. And a lot of people just don't want to do that. And so they should listen to our podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's what we're here for. Yeah. But uh, I think that because of that, you know, the viewership is, you're right. 1.7 million people watching your show is great, but I think also that it it can't be sustained as long as game of Thrones was, I would suspect that it has another season or two left. What do you think? Yeah, I I would not be shocked if this series wrapped up in this season. Um, I, I hope it doesn't. I love it. I would would be because they haven't announced that. 
You think they well, would surprise us with it? That's true. Um, I don't know. And everything is changing right now with uh, the economics of everything. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there and the pause in production for every show. Yeah. Um, I think you could come to a conclusion in this season, but um, if they haven't already, then it would take another season to wrap it up. Yeah. And, and, and that- HBO doesn't tend to end their shows just randomly in the middle. Without closure. Yeah. That would kill me. Please don't do that, HBO. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That'd don't create don't create another Firefly. <laughs> and then the last thing is, yeah, about from House and Garden about Sirac's home. It says in nineteen seventy three, Spanish architect Ricardo Bofield discovered an old cement factory just outside Barcelona. Quote, we found enormous silos, a tall smokestack, four kilometers of underground tunnels. Wow. Machine rooms in good shape. He identified several magical elements that were surprisingly modern from surrealism in the building stairs that led nowhere to brutalism in its structure and absurdity in its strange proportions quote seduced by the contradictions and the ambiguity of the place. We quickly decided to retain the factory and sculpt it like a work of art. The architect now works and lives in this stunning space and beautifully describes life there as a continuous sequence with very little difference between work and leisure. The factory dates from the early 20th century, thus giving the impression of living in the same environment that propelled the industrial revolution in Catalonia. I love that. Spain has some amazing architecture. Yes. I also think it's uh, sort of funny that he spoke as if that was all intentional. What do you, all the, all those combination of styles, (laughs) the stairs that went nowhere and, the stairs that went nowhere were probably like, oops. But, oh, right. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> that was supposed to be three inches on the blueprint and it was two right. inches. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. S- such a work of art. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get in some listener feedback. All right. Uh, Michael Darwin says, now we know where Drogon went. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mark McBurney says another solid episode. Maeve's character is so good. And I've been wanting a Maeve Dolores fight since season one. Yeah, that's a good point. And yes, that was a super cool game of Thrones slash Jurassic park. Shout out. Okay. So this is giving me an idea for something we should do in a future episode, which is we should equate the, some of the Westworld characters to which character they would be in game of Thrones. I mean, okay. I think Daenerys and uh, Dolores is pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> They're like sisters. Yeah. Um, Steve Barr says, I feel like the writers are out of their depth when it comes to computer technology. The square root of negative one is the same kind of thing done on sci-fi t- shows and <laughs> TV shows in the 1960s to confuse computers. Um, yes, that's that's true, which is why I think they did it because this show does so many shout outs to old sci-fi, but uh, the Maeve and Ciroc meeting felt off. Maeve is supposed to be smart and has a goal. So I don't think she'd be snarky, dismissive and violent off the bat. She'd try to understand the situation and see how she could use it to her advantage before burning bridges. Interesting. Good point. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. We didn't really go over that, but she, kind of experimented with that whole square root of negative one thing. And um, it did seem unbelievable that a system so advanced that it could realistically simulate human behavior would be caught up in something like that. But it was fun. And, you know, sometimes when you introduce an infinite loop in your computer, it just freezes up. So it felt kind of like that. Um, 
but then we didn't talk about how there was a scene where you see her grab a big stack of of copies of that secret plan and then we presume that she went around and shoved them in all the pockets of the host because the hosts were there in the right. lab and so then that's that was her plan to further confound the system because you knew that when any of those hosts out in that courtyard saw who had the secret plans, their programming just indicated that, Oh, that means you're a traitor. And so suddenly they were all traitors and they just had to shoot each other. And it was a really cool frozen scene. Uh, we've seen the host. I saw this in the, the after thing where they show the making of, but they mentioned how when you see the host freeze in Westworld, you can still see their hair blowing. But since this was a simulation, everything was frozen and especially dramatic was the, characters who are in the process of getting shot and you see the blood splattering out from their body just frozen there in the air it's a neat effect it was mm-hmm. um Pake allen says so if benioff and weiss are technicians who create a host drogon does that mean all of game of thrones being a storyline in a delos world could be canon to westworld i think it helps season eight make more sense damn guests leaving their starbucks cups and water bottles on the ground <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, Grippy Bob Dobolino says, of all the songs to play on a lute, he plays the Westworld theme song. LOL, love that. Stubbs is a host after all. I love Maeve. Her character is so clever. Just by asking what square root of minus one, she busies up the simulation and mm-hmm. figures it out. And then we had one call this week from Steve Brown. Hey, Jason and David, this is Steve. Uh, this is for Westworld Season 3, Episode 2, The Winter Line. Um, just a couple real quick things that I noticed on my just my first watch. I need to rewatch the first episode and this one. Uh, but uh, love the confirmation that Ashley Stubbs is a host. You guys picked up on that. I think uh, in the first or second season, whenever it was, somebody called it. Uh, I was completely caught off guard. Every time I heard people talking about that Stubbs is a host, I was like, what? How do you? What? So that really, uh, really caught me. And uh, did you catch the Max Headroom kind of? I don't know if it was meant to be an Easter egg to Max Headroom, but the first time in the simulation when Lee Sizemore says his name, he says Lee, like the whole Max Headroom kind of thing. I thought that was cool. Uh, Ashley Stubbs keeps calling the death of a host retirement. Have we, have we heard that term used before? Because that's another Easter egg. Maybe that's a Blade Runner term. They used to say retire for the, when they would kill the replicants. So I thought that was cool. And in the background of that whole Stubbs and Bernard scene, we can see characters from medieval world. And I don't remember even I – I rewatched season two before this one started. But have we seen Medieval World in this show before? Was it in season one or season two? I know it was in the original Westworld movie. So that was kind of cool to see the uh, that uh, kind of Medieval World uh, theme played out. And then um, also – it was really I, I was real quick and I don't know if anybody else if it was meant to be an Easter egg but when uh, they're at the end when Maeve is talking to Sorak she calls him the Oracle and that's a, a Matrix kind of reference so alright I uh, can't wait to hear what you guys thought talk to you later oh she called him that uh, yeah. she did yes she said so you're an, an Oracle I think um, yeah. great call two great catches and i i love the uh sci-fi references and 
I did not catch either of those. I did catch him saying retired, and it sounded familiar to me, <laughs> but I did not place it to Blade Runner, and that is exactly right. Yeah. That's the uh, the term they would use for killing a replicant. And um, the Oracle, yes, character in uh, the one of the machine characters in the Matrix. So great catches by Steve. And yeah, I think, well, I don't think, I know that was the first appearance of anything from this medieval world or whatever it is. Yeah, it's funny too, if you think about um, Westworld and one of the underlying purposes, which is to gather all the uh, reactions of how the guests behave, uh, you you have to have a medieval world. I mean, right? That's where people were the most cruel to each other. <laughs> so it would be a perfect setting. So... Where would you want to go? Westworld, War World, Medieval World, or The Raj? Did I miss any? Man, it's a tough That's one. It. I mean, they're all brutal. Um, they're all founded on brutality and or Shogun World, racism, um, you know, violence. Um, so really hard to know. I, I'm kind of most fascinated by Shogun World, but it all seemed to be taking place in Japanese. <laughs> So that would be tough. Um, I might be interested in War World if it was better than what we saw. Um, I wouldn't be too interested in the sort of thin version that we saw. Uh -huh. I think the Raj would be fascinating. Um, kind of hard to beat Westworld, actually. The Old West. I mean, well, we you all... just named all the parks. Yeah, so. I know. We we all understand. <laughs> I came, sort of came back around to Westworld. I mean, yeah. we sort of all understand the old West. I feel like you'd be able to function there. Um, I, I might choose uh, the original. Yeah. It seems like, you know, one of the draws of Westworld is that you can, you can kind of enjoy yourself gambling or if you're inclined go to the whorehouse or whatever, or you can get into an adventure, <laughs> right. but, uh, in war world, you're just going to be fighting Nazis <laughs> probably. Right. And maybe it's for people who want a different kind of experience. Like I think, yeah, the, of course, yeah. like the Raj is fascinating, but I mean, what really is it? Just the British oppressing like spa, the people of yeah. India. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> seem that interesting really. No, I know. I think it's like, yeah, just the luxury treatment. That's very wrong. Yeah. But I think I would pick medieval just because of the whole magical thing. Yeah. Well, if they had magic in it. So the the medieval world in the original Westworld movie was just like medieval times. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. But we magical. know this one has dragons. True. So there, you're right. There's a fantasy. That, that differentiates it. Yeah. yeah. All right, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Hope you're enjoying. If you would like to write in or record a message like Steve Brown did and send it in, you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com. We also put up a post for each week's episode on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash housepodcastica. And be sure to check out the other podcasts at podcastica.com. I'm covering walking dead and lock and key right now and next episode of this podcast is westworld season three episode three the absence of field which sounds like another 
sciencey philosophical concept it does i can't wait <laughs> look forward to sunday nights i would watch it right now if i could yep me too all right 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 that's our sh- 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 show thanks for l- 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 listening listening 